what are the questions that run through your mind on a daily basis? Here's some of mine. Where's my phone? Did I remember to take out the garbage? I have this weird fear of not taking out the garbage. Raise your hand if you have that. Like, could you imagine having the same garbage for two weeks? Matt Stark. <laughs> when is designated survivor starting again? Raise your hand if you're in a show, show hole. No? Man, I'm alone. What is the weather like this weekend? How am I going to manage all the kids' activities this fall? Where is lunch? What's the plan for dinner, right? Did we overspend this month, this month, right? There's a family with three kids and all the crazy things we do. Oh, shoot. Did we overspend this month? Am I doing a good job as a father? Does my wife know how much I love her? Will we be able to help our kids with college? Uh, it's funny, like you, the college fund is still zero, right? It's like, yikes. We'll be able to help our kids with college. And of course, if it were one of these weeks, uh, the question I think all of our family is asking is, is your sermon done? Is my sermon done? These are the concerns that dominate my thought life. Now granted, these are just random questions. Just thinking about this, just throwing them on paper. You'll have your own questions, right? They're all the practical realities that typically dominate our mind. Whatever those ones are for you. These are very significant questions. I'm not saying they're not important, but they're temporal, right? They come and they go. Uh, they don't really have e e uh, eternal significance per se, like the garbage comes and goes. We're not going to worry about the garbage, I don't think, in eternity. They're temporal. They're not eternal. Uh, and the, the sad reality is, is while we have to take responsibility for those things, when we get caught up in all the temporal realities and ask all those questions, it's really hard for our mind to be in tune with eternal questions. Right? We're so consumed with the temporal that it's hard for our minds to be focused on and attentive to the eternal questions that we really need to face, that have eternal uh, uh, value. It's hard for us to focus on these things. Well, that's the beauty of what we do here every single week. We don't ignore practical realities, right? We're not just saying that they're not important or we don't have to face them. We're not preaching and teaching as if uh, practical issues aren't relevant. But what we do here is something that we are uh, prone to not do Monday through Saturday in the midst of our daily practical existence. Ask eternal questions that have critical life or death meaning. And so today, we are going to face an ultimate question. We are going to ask a question that is eternally critical for every man, woman, and child in this building and throughout this world. It's a question that we should constantly ask, and yet it is a question that we sadly ignore. And here it is. 
What am I to do with the depth of my sin? If you have a pen and paper, write it down. The question we're going to consider today is an eternally important one. It's one that practical realities never seem to to necessarily cross uh, them. And we never seem to have the time or the, uh, the moments of reflection to really engage it. But this is the question that is being asked in Psalm 130. And we're not here just to check out the Bible. Amen? We're here because God wants to speak personally and powerfully to every individual in this room. So turn off your phones, unless you're, of course, being devotional with them. Set aside all your notifications. There's nothing more important than this question today. Turn your attention to the Word of God. What am I to do with the depth of my own sin? Psalm 130 gives us a very clear and beautiful answer to the simple yet eternally critical question. What am I to do with the depth of my sin? Psalm 130. Out of the depths, I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you, there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in His Word, I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning. More than watchmen for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord, there is steadfast love. And with Him is plentiful redemption. And He will redeem Israel from all His iniquities. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the Word of God abides forever. Amen? Amen. Out of the depths, I cry to you, O Lord. The psalmist has sunk to a place, to a depth, that he cannot escape, all because of his own sin. Right? That's what he's talking about when he's referring to the depths. Some people think maybe he's just having a bad day, that he's suffering in this world in general. 
That may be true. He may be experiencing difficult days. He may have hit rock bottom in the practical realities of his life. Maybe he's broke. Maybe his relationships are a mess. Maybe that's what he means, but probably not based on the context. What you're seeing, the rest of the psalm, is a whole discussion of sin, of forgiveness, of redemption, of iniquities, of your standing before God. And so when he, we read about the depths that he's plummeted, the experience that he's having, it is highly likely that he's talking about the depth of his own sin, the consequences of his rebellion and rejection of God. He's feeling it. He's living in it. In some way, shape, or form, he has hit rock bottom in his relationship to God. He is living under the weight of his sin. Sin has sunk him. And now he's living with its pain and its consequences, its destructive effects. Sin has that effect on us, does it not? Sin has a way of sinking us. Right? For those who struggle with lust, it has a sinking effect. Right? You can imagine a, a young boy catching an image that he thinks is cool, is beautiful, is intriguing. And over time, as he continues to focus his mind on those things, he finds himself later in life to being addicted to looking at those kind of beautiful uh, graphic images. You can imagine that this very much bothers his wife. You can imagine the kind of marital discord that it causes as he continues to refuse to change refuse or at least be unable to walk in repentance in these regards. You can imagine the sinking nature of lust that the more he continues to engage in these kind of thoughts and practices, the deeper he finds himself in it. Even to the point where his wife considers him so unfaithful that she leaves him. And his kids no longer honor and respect him. And it leaves him alone. In pursuit of pleasure, temporal pleasures, he loses everything that matters to him. And now the only thing that he knows is his sin and his, his guilt and his condemnation. He's sunk to the depths of his sin and lust. Sin sinks us. That's what it does. Or you can think about the woman who has an insatiable desire to look good and to be adored, who keeps shopping, who keeps spending, without reference to the budget, without reference to the amount of resources that are in the account, because she wants to be loved, she wants to be considered beautiful, she's never satisfied with what she has in the closet. She's never satisfied with what her husband provides for her. So she keeps spending, she keeps swiping, and her desire for more and her greed and her lack of contentment drives her into such credit card debt that she now has to use a credit card check to pay the minimum balance on another credit card that she's opened up. Deeper and deeper, she falls into debt to finally she continues to get the bills 
in the mail. And every time the mailbox is full, she's reminded of the depth of her own sin. And her own struggle to be adored and to be uh, loved. She has everything, but in the end she feels the depths of her sin and knows she has nothing. Maybe another woman or man is, is caught in bitterness. Maybe a woman at a very young age was taken advantage of by a close relative. She's deeply wounded at first and sad in the deepest part of who she is. But over time, she finds herself just full of rage and anger. And that rage continues to grow in her heart. And she's not able to deal with it. She's not able to experience healing and forgiveness. And no matter how often people try to connect with her, to build a relationship with her, to establish some sort of trust with her, no matter what it is, she continues to push them away with her anger and her bitterness. And while she longs in the deepest part of her heart for intimacy, she really just feels alone. She's deep into the depths of her bitterness and her unforgiveness. These are just a few examples of how sin sinks us and brings us to a depth that we uh, can't get out on our own. Now understand this, when we find ourselves in a place of um, in such depth because of our sin, There's a knee-jerk reaction inside every single one of us. A knee-jerk reaction to say, I'm going to get myself out of this mess. I'm going to fix it. Right? I'll never forget the depth of sin that uh, uh, Michael Vick faced when he looked at reporters and had to admit his guilt with the dogfighting ring. I'll never forget what he said. You may have heard me talk about this before. He looked at the cameras and he said, I will redeem myself. You see, there's a knee-jerk reaction inside each and every one of us to say, when sin has sunk me, I will get myself out on my own. You say, well, maybe that's an isolated occurrence. Well, a year later, we saw Elliot Spitzer, the New York governor, stand before reporters, uh, resigning his position as governor, and looking at them and saying, I must atone for my private sins. You see, there's something inside of us that says, yes, sin has sunk me. I'm going to save myself. I'm going to get myself out of this mess. But you see, the depth that sin has taken us is a depth that we cannot escape on our own. That's the first thing that you need to wrestle with this morning. If you're in the depths of your sin, you will never get out on your own. You don't have the capacity, you don't have the strength, you don't have the wherewithal spiritually to to pull yourself out of the miry bog. You have no way to get yourself out of sin on your own accord. And yet that is our knee-jerk reaction. There are other ways that we answer the question, what am I to do with the depth of my own sin? The first thing is, we hide our sin. What do we do with it? We hide it, right? That's the OG response. Genesis 3. What's the first thing they did when they were faced with the depth of their own sin? 
They hid. They hid from God. We think that hiding is going to save us from the all-knowing, ever-present living God. It's our reaction, right? It's, it's like those that are deep in lust delete their history on their computers as if no one knows now. We hide it. The spouse that's caught in greed is opening up a credit card behind their spouse's back. The spouse doesn't know about. They can hide their sin. Those in deep in forgiveness, they put on a fake smile in front of people to mask their pain. We hide it. Everything's great. Ping! Right? We hide sin. Second, we minimize sin. And I think this speaks directly to us in suburban America. I think this is the thing that we do that we may not even recognize that we do. You see, we live in an affluent society. And we're the people that through technology and innovation and affluence have figured out a way to minimize the effect of sin in our lives. Our couches are leather. Our cars have heated seats. We got 65-inch screen TVs. We got air conditioning. All of that to mask reality. We're a complete mess, spiritually. And so the more that we engaged in the, the pleasures of this world... The more that we rely on technology and innovation, the more that we deaden the effect of sin, so we think. And so we minimize its effects. It's not that bad, our fallen condition. After all, look at my life. Did you see the vacation I went on? Do you see all the fun things and all the activities that I have? All of that to distract us and numb us from the reality that we still stand before a God that is holy and we are still accountable for our sins. I often ask the question, what's standing in the way of suburban, uh, reaching suburban lives? Right, Because that's our call here at Renovation Church. To present the gospel to every man, woman, and child in these zip codes all across the northern suburbs of Onondaga County. It's very different than the city. Very different. It's a, it's a unique challenge for us in suburbia. So I ask the question, what is it gonna what's standing in the way of us seeing men, women, and children in the suburbs? Suburban lives being changed. You know what the answer is? Suburban lives. Suburban lives are in the way of reaching suburban lives. We've lost an awareness of sin. We've lost a sense of radical commitment to the mission because everyone's doing just great in their SUVs and their well-manicured landscape lawns. We've missed a sense of the eternal question, what must I do with my sin? We don't consider that about our neighbors. They're doing great. Did you see the new car? We minimize our sin. Third, we make up for our sin on our own. Right? There's a moment where you feel the guilt of your sin. And you go, this wasn't right. I better go do something right now. Right? All the community service that we do. Is it because you're trying to make yourself feel better about the sins you're struggling with? That's not what it's about. Right? But there's something inside of us that says, I'm going to deal with my sin by doing something not sinful. 
I watch it in my kids. It's a knee-jerk reaction. When they've been punished or they're being disciplined, there's all of a sudden everybody's cleaning. Like, you know, like, cats be vacuuming up in my house. Like, what are you doing? Then it hits me. Ah, sinner. Sinner. Trying to make up for sin. And honestly, it's important to say to your kids, listen, thank you for contributing to the needs of this family. But I want to make it clear. What you're doing now is not a way out of what you did before. You can't make up for sin by doing things that aren't sinful. That's the religious response. You felt bad about the week, so I better go to church. That's not how it works. God's not going to look at us and say, well, I know you you did a really bad thing, but then you did a really good thing, and you did a really good thing 51 to 49 to the bad thing, so you're good. Come on in. See, you can't make up for your sin by doing good deeds. We're not saved on the basis of our deeds. We'll not escape on those terms. Last, I think, when we get sick and tired of trying really hard on our own to hide sin, so I can't hide it anymore, we can't minimize it anymore, We can't make up for it anymore. You get so sick and tired of hearing about sin. You're so done with the holy God. You come to the realization that, you know what? Sin isn't even relevant, man. That's the the confession of the atheist. Sin is not relevant. Matter of fact, the things that I do, that's who I am. This is me. Matter of fact, let's have a parade about me. Let's promote me. And that's what we do with sin. Let's not call it sin. Matter of fact, if you call this a sin, it's an offense to me. Because everyone in this world is trying so hard in a self-esteem Sesame Street culture to build the self and protect the self. And so when you say I've sinned against a holy God, you're assaulting myself. Don't do that. We deny sin. That's the ultimate form. We begin to deny it, begin to accept it, begin to promote it, and then we begin to celebrate it. Let's have a party about my sin. But what does the psalmist do? It's a very long intro. But I think a helpful thing. Are you doing any of those things about sin right now? Are you hiding it? Trying to make up for it? Are you just getting a new app on your phone to distract you from its realities? How it's ruining your life? Right? Or are you at the point where you're saying, eh, it's irrelevant. There's no God, there's no sin, there's no reason to be talking about these things that make me feel really sad about myself. The psalmist does not do that. He says, out of the depths I cried, you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. The psalmist does not do any of those things. The psalmist cries out to the Lord for mercy. Don't miss the two uses of the word Lord there. Out of the depths I cried, you, O Lord, Yahweh, the divine name. O Lord, Adonai, not Yahweh. See the lowercase Lord there? O Lord, hear my voice. We see that on three occasions. Why such a shift? We see the nature of what's going on. You see, an inferior party recognizes they're inferior to the master, Adonai, Lord, Master. Yahweh, the name, 
is his Lord and his master. And in his rebellion against his authority, he comes to him and says, listen, I can't get out on my own. There's no hope for me. I can't hide from you. I can't make up for this. All my own strength in the midst of the depths of my sin, I can't escape it on my own. Guess the only hope that I have is your mercy. You see, that's what we need to come to grips with today, all of us, no matter where we are spiritually in our walk with God. How am I to deal with my sin? How am I, what am I to do with the depth of my own sin? We must cry out to the Lord for mercy. That is our only option. That is our only hope. Because when you've sinned against, rebelled against an authority, the only way out of the violation and the treason, the only hope for escape from punishment, just punishment from the superior party is the mercy of the superior party. That's all we've got. Because he's got us. Hook, line, sinker. Sin sunk us to the bottom. The only way out is the mercy of the authority, the superior party that we have sinned against. So if you're here today and you're wondering, how am I going to get out of the mess I'm in? Know this, that the only way out is the mercy of the Lord. So the psalmist cries out for mercy. Why? Because he knows and trusts some things about the Lord. He knows some things. And, and, and you may not be crying out to the Lord for mercy. You may not, because you don't know who the Lord is. You don't understand the nature of the gospel yet. And that's why we're here today. We don't just ask the question, what am I to do with the depth of my own sin? We want to answer the question in such a way to provide life and blessing for you. He knows some things about the Lord. He says, if you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, who, should, who could stand? Really, mark means to keep in a state. If you were to keep me in sin, who could stand? It's a rhetorical question. You help me answer it. If the Lord would keep sinners in sin, who could stand? Answer the question for me. No one. No one. We have to come to grips with a holy God that can justly judge those who sin. And no one on the basis of their own righteousness can stand before this God. That should freak us out a little bit in sin. That should bother us. We should have a, an unrest in soul. My eternity is at stake. My life is at stake. Again, we don't think about these things during the day. Where's the garbage? We need to be thinking about sin all the time. What do I do with it? We need to come face to face with the fact that if the Lord were to keep you in sin, you would not stand. You would fall in judgment. But here's the wonderful news that the psalmist reminds us of. He knows the kind of Lord that he's calling out to. He's calling out for mercy from this Lord because he knows that with the Lord there is forgiveness. 
Look at what it says. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But, but with you, there is forgiveness. We're here to say today that you're, if you're in the depths of sin, cry out to the Lord for mercy because with the Lord, there is forgiveness. That's pardon. It's an act of undeserved kindness to no longer hold you in condemnation for your act of disobedience, for your treason, for your sin. It is to say, they don't owe me anything. You see, we emotionalize forgiveness, right? We make it an emotion. I feel like I forgave them. But listen, it's simply an act of pardon. It's an action, not a feeling. And it's a beautiful one. It's an act of kindness to say, I no longer hold them accountable for the sins they've committed. I'm no longer going to require them to pay me back for what they owe me. You see, in our sin, we owed God our life. But in His mercy, He forgives. He no longer holds us accountable to pay Him in return. That's why he's crying out to God for mercy, because with the Lord there is forgiveness. Not only that, O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love. Just when you thought forgiveness was enough blessing, we see the basis of such forgiveness. On what basis would God ever justly forgive the sinner who cries out for mercy? On what basis could he do that? Do you think he just does it willy-nilly? Like, oh, okay, no problem. I got you. You pay next time. Like lunch or something. Right? Do you think, do you think that he does this willy-nilly? That really his holiness and his righteousness is irrelevant? He could just kind of sweep our sins under the rug? No, here's the wonderful thing. The reason that the Lord forgives is because he's forgiving. And the reason he's forgiving is because long ago to the people of Israel, he said, I am this kind of God. I am committed to you in steadfast love and faithfulness. I will forgive iniquities. It's a covenantal promise that he's made to posture himself toward a people with love. Not the love this world offers us, but the covenant committed, steadfast love of the Lord that never ceases. And so He forgives us because He's loving. And the psalmist knows this. The psalmist trusts in this Lord as the Lord of steadfast love. With the Lord, there is steadfast love. And He goes on to say more. With Him is plentiful redemption. And he will redeem Israel from all his iniquity. So we see the progression here. With you there is forgiveness, verse 4, verse 7. With the Lord there is steadfast love. Verse 7b, with him there is plentiful redemption. Here's what's wonderful about what God is doing in the life of this psalmist. He's not just forgiving sins of the past. He's setting him free from the dominion and power of the sin that caused him. His sinful state. 
You see, God is a forgiver, but he's also one that frees us. Right? That's really what we long for. If you think about what depths of sin really means, it's not just a collection of acts that were bad. That sin is a state in which we live. It's a bondage that we're subject to. And we need to be set free. If you're here today, you don't just need pardon, you need redemption. You need to be set free from the clutches of sin. The reason you plummeted into the depths in your sin is because sin had clutched itself around your ankles and dragged you to the bottom of the abyss. And there's no way for you on your own strength to free yourself from that kind of tyranny. But the kind of God that the psalmist calls out to, the, the kind of God that the psalmist uh, uh, knows and trusts is the kind of God that has plentiful redemption. It is great, as powerful as sin is and has been in our lives. It is no match for the power of grace and mercy to set you free from sin. And so that's why the psalmist cries out to the Lord. That's why, because he knows the Lord. Do you know the Lord this morning? Do you know who he is? Do you understand that he is a forgiving God? That he wants to pardon you? Do you know that he is a loving God committed to you in Christ? Do you know that he is a God that has the power to set you free? To literally pull you out of the depths of sin. No matter how deep sin has brought you, it is the mercy of God that will lift you up and bring you to the shore and to the solid rock on which you stand. And you get a sense from the psalmist that he's waiting for this. That it hasn't really happened yet, right? That he's crying out on the basis of what he knows about this God. He's putting his hope in his word the promises that he's made concerning his people, right? So, but, but it hasn't happened yet. He's still in the depths. He's feeling the consequences and the effects of sin. And all of us are still living in the midst of a world that has the presence and power of sin. And so we're wondering, as we're crying out for mercy in the midst of our struggles, in the midst of our sins, when will the Lord answer this? That's what the psalmist is doing. But I'm going to wait, he says. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. His word I place my hope. My soul waits for the Lord. More than watchmen for the morning. More than watchmen for the morning. You see, there was always someone that was looking out, watching out, waiting for the morning, for the shift to end, for the day to dawn. And so this person, this psalmist who's crying out to the Lord for mercy in the midst of the depths of his sin, he's crying out and he's waiting and he's watching and he's hoping and he's expecting God to hear and respond to his prayers. And here's the wonderful thing that we know as he's saying, Oh Israel, trust in the Lord. He'll redeem Israel from all his iniquities. This expectation of the people of Israel. Guess what? That prayer has been answered in Jesus Christ. See, he waited for the fulfillment of all those promises to forgive and to set free. But we don't wait for that like he did. It's been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. 
As Ephesians chapter 1 says, in Him, in Jesus, we have redemption through His blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses. That all those covenant promises of steadfast love, of forgiveness, of redemption, of Him putting a new spirit inside of us, setting us free by living in us, all those promises have been fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. So really the Lord has answered the plea of every sunken sinner in Jesus Christ. So if sin has sunk you, know this, the Lord has answered the prayer of the sunken sinner through the work, the cross, the blood, the obedience of Jesus. This prayer has been answered. And so we can trust in its reality. What am I to do with the depth of my own sin? Here's what you do. You cry out for the Lord's mercy today. Cry out for the Lord's mercy because it is with the Lord that there is forgiveness, there is love, and there is redemption. What are you going to do with your sin today? Are you going to ignore it? Are you going to check Twitter? Are you going to check Facebook? Are you going to worry about the garbage? Or are you going to do some time with the living God today? What are you going to do with your sin? Are you sick of hearing me preach about it? You want to move on to lunch? What are you going to do with your sin? My plea to you, my plea as I look in the mirror, as I get so caught up in practical, silly realities that bog me down and distract me, it is this, to continue day by day, hour by hour, week by week, to cry out to the living God for mercy and receive it freely in Jesus Christ. Seek Him for forgiveness. Seek Him for freedom. The Son has set you free. You will be free indeed. If you're caught in lust, cry out for mercy. If you're caught in greed, cry out for mercy. If you're caught in bitterness, cry out for mercy. Envy, cry out for mercy. If your marriage is a mess, cry out for mercy. If you're so consumed and self-absorbed, cry out for mercy. If you think you're so great but everybody knows you're really not, cry out for mercy. Pride will destroy you. It will sink you. Right? Pride cometh before the fall. Pride, thinking you're better than you really are, will sink you. Some of you are looking at me saying, man, he's angry today. I'm actually not angry at all. I'm not. I'm really not. I might be in a few minutes, but I'm not right now. <laughs> this matters to me, though, personally. It matters for me because I love you guys. Sounds kind of cheesy, but love this church, love the people in this room, love this community, love this city, best city in the world. All right, that was an overstatement. This matters. Nothing else matters at the end of the day. This matters. Out of the depths, I cried out to you, Lord, hear my plea for mercy. Cry out for mercy today.
Don't leave today with plentiful redemption. Don't leave today without crying out for mercy. Don't leave today without answering the question, what am I going to do with my sin? Don't leave today without full confidence in the work of Christ. Don't leave today with a resolve to figure it out on your own. It won't work. Sin will continue to sink you to a deeper depth that you don't want to go. Cry out for the Lord's mercy. He's so merciful. He's forgiving. He's loving. He's redeeming. Why? Why would he do this? But we know he does it because of who he is. He's just forgiving. He's loving. He's redeeming to his people. That's who he is. Does he do it because we deserve this kind of mercy and grace? No. But he does have a great purpose. And some of us today aren't necessarily feeling what the psalmist is feeling. Like just, oh, the depths. You're like, I'm actually doing pretty good. Right? I'm good. Didn't do anything too bad. Right? But maybe some of us have wasted this grace. We've received it. At least we think. We're actually living in a place of wasting grace. It's a phrase you could miss. Verse 4. But with you, there is forgiveness. Why? That you may be feared. Right? We've, we've gone through the gospel, man. <laughs> hey! Yeah, praise Jesus for Jesus. Anyway, you see, the purpose of such forgiveness, the purpose of such mercy, the purpose of such redemption, the purpose of such covenantal love is because God longs for us to live in the way that He created us to live, in connection, in righteousness and holiness. And in the fear of the Lord. Joyful obedience. And some of you here today might be struggling for motivation. I don't feel like obeying anymore. Is there a better motivator to obey the Lord than His pardon and His mercy and His, 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 His love and His redemption? See, that's why I love forgiveness passages, ultimate questions being answered. I love it because nothing truly motivates me to worship and fear and obey the Lord than, than this. This gospel is what prompts obedience, right? That, that this is what it's about, right? Manufacturing good deeds, trying hard, doing better. I guess I'm supposed to because it's my job. That never works in joyful obedience. But if you bring me to a passage like Mark chapter 2 where the paralytic is dropped down through a roof and they say, hey, Jesus looked at him and said, son, your sins are forgiven. Now I'm getting excited. 
If you bring me to Psalm 32, where David is just devastated by his own sin. Psalm 51, where he's crying out, I'm a mess, man. Look at what I just did to Uriah. Look how I just killed a man, committed adultery. You see him crying out for pardon. Trusting in his God and him receiving. Blessed is the man or the woman whose sins are forgiven. When you bring me to those passages, it reignites me. It warms my heart. And I pray today that if you're here and you're struggling in your walk with God, you've received grace for redemption, but the joyful obedience, the kind of radical submission, the kind of my life is all about serving Jesus. I'm all in on Him. I'm giving everything I've got Monday through Saturday, not just Sunday, all my finances, all my marriage, all my relationship, every thought in my mind. I'm all in on fearing the Lord because of His grace and forgiveness. I pray that your heart is warm today. Because if your heart isn't warmed by this, it won't be warmed by anything. But that's what this gospel does. With you there's forgiveness that you may be feared. The heart is warmed by this mercy. And I pray that your heart was as well. What am I going to do with the depth of my own sin? Ask for mercy. Receive it from Jesus. And respond to mercy by joyful obedience. I pray that each and every one of you leaves today reminded of the gospel, crying out from the depths, receiving mercy from Christ, and walking in joyful obedience. I pray that everybody in this community experiences the same. Amen? I know, I went way over. You're welcome. Let's pray. Father, we give you praise for the truths in this passage. For the mercy that we have in Christ. Pray that each and every one of us today would see where we really are apart from you. We're deep sunk in sin. And I pray that the Spirit of God would warm our hearts And draw us to you. And quicken within us the desire to cry out for mercy. It's our only hope. Your mercy. We praise you that you're a merciful God. You're a forgiving God. You're a loving God. You've set us free. Just like the Israelites in Egypt. With an outstretched arm. You powerfully set us free from sin. Praise be to the Lord. All God's people said.